I think strength training has gotten more popular in the last few years with the work you've done and the work I'm doing and the work a lot of people are doing out there. But before that, it was like, well, I do yoga and I walk my dog, but they, they ate like they had orthorexia, like perfection in their diet, but they still wouldn't respond because they didn't have any muscle mass to hold them together. There's awesome metabolic benefits that we probably don't even know half of right now. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyburn, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. So excited to sit down today with an old friend. I feel like we've known each other for 14 years, 15 God. years. Yeah, probably longer. Yeah, wild. So we have Dr. Tina Moore today on the podcast. We went to chiropractic school together. And while we were going to chiropractic school together, you were also doing naturopathic school, which I was like, whoa, this girl is a freaking badass. <laughs> to double down <laughs> on this, it was like blowing my mind. So I'm so excited to have you on Muscle Medicine Podcast today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited too. We've, this has been a long time coming. So I yeah. Fun. So oftentimes we're talking about how to feed, how to rehab, how to train the largest organ in the body, the muscle. And you do all of those on some extent, not only for yourself, but in patients in the past. So can you just take us in like a brief glimpse of from going from having like a double degree of naturopathic medicine and chiropractic medicine, kind of where your practice evolved and where it is today. Sure. So, so I was always a patient of chiropractics and I was a really sick little kid. And my chiropractors were the only doctors who ever took the time to talk to me about anything that I asked about, even as a small child. So I really felt compelled to lean towards that my whole life. And I, as my high school sweetheart jokes, I'm a closet jock. So (laughs) (laughs) hanging out with the boys all day, moving bones seemed like a fun job. And then I had the honor of meeting my mentor, Dr. Rick Marinelli in the nineties when I graduated from college. And he was doing a lot of physical medicine and he was also an acupuncturist and he is who brought prolotherapy to our profession some 30 odd years ago. And all of his buddies were the same. They were all into physical medicine. They all did very active medicine. And I just thought that's what naturopathic medicine was. He also was a huge proponent of strength training. This is way back in the early nineties. And he told me, I think in 94, 95 to quit doing cardio and start lifting weights. And of course I was appalled because I was like, that's for boys. That's not what girls do. You know, I was in my early twenties and I was, it was the nineties. So we were all just trying to be as skinny as humanly possible because that's what was in vogue. And also in Portland, Oregon, where like, you know, being looking like you were heroin chic was the thing. (laughs) The thing. (laughs) So while I was busy starving myself to death and gaining no muscle mass, he was over there looking amazing. And then I went to naturopathic school and I thought, oh my God, these are not my people. Like the school I ended up at was very based in different, you know, just much more like general care, herbs, homeopathy, and really a wonderful program and a, and a hard program. But I wanted my, like, I wanted my jocks back. So I ended up back at 
Western States Chiropractic College. That's when I met you was when I had come back and they let me do the dual program that didn't exist and still doesn't. But at the time I was the guinea pig. So I did not take Rick up on his advice until many, many years later. I worked with him for almost 20 years. And when he was dying of cancer in 2013, well, no, I should say 2010, 2011, that's when I started lifting because I knew he was going to die. Sadly, that's honestly it. I knew he was going to die and I knew I had to train for it. So I, my MO is to like starve myself to death when I'm stressed out. And I thought, nope, I'm going to eat and lift. I turned 40 and I was like, I'm done being scrawny. I'd always been active, but I was so scrawny. I thought I was going to shatter. And I was like, I got to put a slab of muscle on this body or I'm not going to make it through this. And sure enough, I was strong as heck. That was one of the last things he said to me was, you look strong. And I was like, right on. Mm -hmm. And since then, I probably put another 15 pounds of muscle on. So I'm I was really skinny. And then I started, of course, I'm a nerd. So I started researching it. And that's when you and I kind of came back together. Like I was just in the depths of all of the molecular goings on (laughs) of muscle and just geeking out on it, you know, and I know you're good friends with Gabrielle Lyon and she has a very similar take, different, same, you know, she gives so much good information on it too, but I'm coming from it from this like chiropractic, naturopathic standpoint where I really believe it should just be a basic treatment guideline. If you don't strength train, you're missing out on all the benefits and none of the other therapies really stick, in my opinion. So from a lifetime of cardio going to strength training, what shifts did you feel? Because I think for people who are just like, no, I feel so good on cardio. I get my like endorphin high. I just want to put my shoes on and run or get on the elliptical. Like what did you physically feel? And then what did you mentally feel? Strong. For the first time in my life, I felt like I was in charge of my body and my life. And I always say that strength training translates because it's like every single aspect of my life has shifted. Career-wise, my success is 100% attributable to my strength. I was at a big naturopathic regenerative medicine conference and I was one of the main speakers and I knew that I had to speak for three days and I knew I was going to get mauled by tons of doctors, hundreds of doctors there. And I trained for it. You know, like I literally started training for it physically because I had to get ready because I needed one, the stamina, two, the strength physical, but I needed the mental strength. And that's everything. And I mean, it's that's the biggest thing is I don't feel like I'm invisible anymore. I don't get pushed around. I don't get pushed around in business. I don't get pushed around by male doctors. I don't get pushed around by anybody anymore. Like nobody fucks with me. And that did not used to be the case. So I think in through strength training and getting physically stronger, I've mentally become so much more resilient. And that's translated into dollars and to ability to reach more and help more people, help more of my colleagues. That was the funniest thing this weekend. Everyone said, God, you have so much energy. I'm like, that's because I'm doing kettlebell swings in between lectures. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. I literally would like change, run down, go do 50 swings and some get-ups and come back and then get back on the stage. (laughs) And that's the thing, it doesn't have to be, you know, there's this perception that the workout has to be an hour in the day. I have some people who are like, I work out an hour and a half and I'm thinking your poor little adrenal glands and how do you find so much time in the day with, you know, three kids or whatever? Gosh, no, I think (laughs) like little doses. Yeah. Like micro doses. It's like any drug. I think that all drugs are best done in micro dosing to be totally honest with you, food, (laughs) exercise, mushrooms, (laughs) 
marijuana, like all of it is these, well, and then like, seriously, even some pharmaceuticals, like microdosing is the key. So I think of it as like, I'm trying to stoke the fire, rev the engine of my adrenals and my thyroid, not, and my hormones, not tank myself out. I'm no good to anyone if I'm overtrained and tanked out. Yeah. Do you think strength, do you think it's negotiable? Like, can you be doing Pilates and yoga and bar and still be getting the benefits that maybe would happen in strength training? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know my answer. <laughs> like it's non-negotiable, right? Non-negotiable. It's so hard to impart. <laughs> it's not, it's non-negotiable. In naturopathic medicine, we have basic treatment guidelines and those are seemingly very boring. And then they go, they, they tear up. But I mean, initially you have to have clean water source. That's non-negotiable, right? Like you can't be drinking contaminated water and expect good health. You have to be getting adequate sunlight and getting outside, walking, moving, sleeping, eating nutritiously dense food that's not sprayed in pesticides, eating, you know, good sourced meats that are full of healthy protein and not full of a bunch of hormones and junk. Like these are non-negotiable basic treatment guidelines. And my argument to my profession is that you have to have muscle too. You have to add strength training because, and that's what I talked about. That was one of my lectures at this event this past weekend was muscle is medicine. And the crowd was just so excited about it because they were like, yes, thank you for saying it. I mean, I gave them all the reference studies to prove my point, but the bottom line, especially if you're aging and you're female, like I don't want to break a hip. I don't want to fall down and I'm getting older and I'm starting to feel it. And I don't want to, I train for life. So does my coach. She's almost 50. She is phenomenal. She looks younger than me. I mean, she looks more your age and she is so strong. And she's like, we just have to keep doing this forever. So we have to do it smart so that we don't blow out our joints and we have to stay in the game forever because it's not an addiction. It's just like a non-negotiable fact, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Who's your coach in, um, in Portland? Mira Gracia. She is strong first, like elite Jedi lady. So she teaches too. And she's amazing. You know, really interestingly, she tried to, I, a couple years ago, before I closed my practice, I was trying to go for my SFG one and I couldn't because my adrenals were so tanked out and I was building my online platform and I didn't really know what to do with all the people coming at me. And it just, everything was exploding. And I was like, I don't have everything set up right yet. And I I tanked out, like my adrenals just crashed. And so I came back to her after I closed my practice and I said, okay, so one of my goals for this year is to train for this. I may not get to test for it, but like, I want to start seriously training for this. And she's like, well, you got to earn it girl. Cause you're adrenals are questionable, you know, and I've taught her so much about hormones through the process. She used to not understand why I would lay down between sets and need salt. She thought I was just, she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, no, I like, I literally need to just reset. And then I get up and I'm strong as heck, but I need salt and I need to lay down. Yeah. 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 Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. So are you currently training for the strong first level one instructor course? I think in my head, yes. It's, I know it's, I mean, we've talked about this is going to be like a nine month to year long process oh, for me totally. yeah. at least. And yeah. I'm okay with that. Like to, it's funny when people, I closed my practice last year and people are like, well, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I'm going to get my kettlebell certification because <laughs> <laughs> I finally can. Like I realize how absolutely critical I think people take for granted their hormonal health when they have it, you know, and when you don't have it, you're like, oh my God, this is yeah. 
I'm not built like those people. I burned my systems out a long time ago. I think maybe even as a child, I, this started for me. So for me, it's like, that's the journey, right? There's no destination. It's just get stronger and be more resilient every single day. That's my goal. And when I'm not having that happen, something's wrong in the rest of my life. I have to consider everything else I'm doing. Am I having too much alcohol? Am I not taking my thyroid adequately? Am I not treating my adrenals with kindness? Am I not eating nutritiously? All of the basic treatment guidelines suddenly show up, right? So strength training makes you take better care of yourself because you can't get any gains if you don't. So I kind of love it for that. And part of the instructor course is 100 snatches in five minutes, depending on your weight. I think it's like 125 and under is 12 kilo and over 16 kilo. Uh And I remember when I was training for it, was like, I'll just drop weight and then like I'll cut weight, weigh in and then eat my face off. But I was like 145. Like I'm like a steady 145 and uh Everyone, like all my coaches were like, no, you're not going to do that. That will, you're like, you're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> no, it's crazy town. And that would take away all your vitality. I yeah. love, I love strong first for the fact that whether they know it or not, like it's very naturopathic. Like you, it's, it's mm-hmm. all about honing your vitality at the end of the day, right? right? Like hone yeah. your vitality and your vitality and strength is always the goal. And that's what we're trying to do with our patients. We're trying to assess and improve their vitality and their homeostasis. And I just don't think you can do that adequately with, without muscle. I, for instance, I can eat gluten now sometimes, whereas before it would kill me. And it's not a big deal now. It's like if I get glutened, you know, quote unquote glutened, I'm not going to go down like in a fiery ball. I'm going to just be like, oh, I have a stomach ache. Because when you increase your human growth hormone through training, you increase, you close that. That's what heals up the leaky gut. So duh, like that makes, <laughs> I was like, win on that one. And, <laughs> and then your muscle secretes myokines, which when secreted by your fat cells are pro-inflammatory. And when they're secreted by your muscle, they're anti-inflammatory. So that's when, you know, there's all these wins that you can't, you can't get into a pill. Yeah. So your practice evolved into like a really interesting, like I don't think anyone else that I know that has gone to chiropractic school and naturopathic college went into like the regenerative medicine injection, prolotherapy, PRP road. So what did you see when you were still in practice with the patients in terms of their success with those injections? Good question. So I used to do everything. I did. I would run labs on everyone and I would adjust everyone. And so I started to see themes. I started to feel in the tissues what I was seeing on labs. I started to put things together. And I actually thought I was so novel in figuring this stuff out that like, oh, these physical symptoms were showing up in labs similarly. But then I read a book by Mark Starr. He's a doctor, Mark Starr. It's called Hypothyroidism Type 2. You should read it. (laughs) It turns out a lot of these things were figured out before we had labs. So the smart doctors who were doing physical medicine, when before we had TSH and everything else, they were figuring this stuff out too. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not that novel. But it was, I was glad that I was validated there. And then I was doing a lot of prolotherapy and hormones play a role. Optimizing your tissues, your gut health, 
plays a huge role. Your inflammation and your immune status and are you autoimmune type person, all of those play a role in regenerative outcomes. And I was preaching this years ago online, much to many people's dismay. It was not popular. It's getting popular. And it's amazing to see that people I've trained really take the lead and come out and be like, you have to be healthy before you get injected. But when I was preaching it, even a few years ago, I was getting so much slack for that because doctors were just taking anyone who walked in the door. And I was like, you can't do that, right? My, my mentor got called names for being that way too. He would not inject people who were sick. And then he get, well, you owe it to them. You have to take their pain away. And he's like, it doesn't work if they're not healthy. So the one thing, the one common denominator that I noticed that no matter what, even if they drank Red Bull and ate crappy food all day, if they had a bunch of muscle on them, they responded exactly the way that I would assume they would. They generally got very quick results with lesser potent therapy. So I could do prolotherapy on them versus something stronger like PRP and stem cells, and they would get amazing results. So healthy, fit, active people, even if they're not eating well, even if they have like a diet Coke addiction, we're still getting much better and more consistent results from the therapies than people who were eating like saints, but had no muscle, which is like a big thing right now, right? Like there's a lot of people out there. I I think strength training has gotten more popular in the last few years with the work you've done and the work I'm doing and the work a lot of people are doing out there. But before that, it was like, well, I do yoga and I walk my dog, but they, they ate like they had orthorexia, like perfection in their diet but they still wouldn't respond because they didn't have any muscle mass to hold them together or to have that metabolic. There's, there's awesome metabolic benefits that we probably don't even know half of right now. Other than muscle mass, what other factors? Cause we see it. We, we will co-treat with medical doctors, patients who've gotten PRP injections, have gotten stem cell injections. And if someone is not having a good outcome, Sometimes it's like, well, are you doing the right rehab? You know, it's kind of like placed on the person doing the rehab. What are some other factors that could affect that recovery other than just having enough muscle mass? I think the first one is thyroid. They have to have adequate thyroid on board. And if they don't, thyroid is not necessarily anabolic, but it is metabolic and it is responsible for cellular turnover. And the act of healing is one big giant act of cellular turnover. So they have to have thyroid on board. If they don't, they end up with a whole host of symptoms and we can talk about those. The second thing is they have to have enough testosterone working because it is anabolic directly. So men and women in particular, but very much men. I mean, a lot of men will come in and I can just tell by looking at them that their testosterone's low and I'll mention it and they'll say, oh, I'm fine down there. Like they think the number one symptom is erectile dysfunction. And I'm like, you can be fine down there and I don't care if you're 22. You can have the best libido in the world and the best working penis ever, but if your testosterone's low, you're not gonna heal. And that's why they're in the door because they're getting these chronic, naggy, recurrent, injuries that won't heal up. So those are huge. I think you need to have good, for women especially, you need to have good estrogen progesterone balance. Estrogen makes your tissues juicy and elastic. So does thyroid. If you have low thyroid and you have low estrogen, you're going to just be like a dried out chicken breast that got overcooked and left on the counter. And progesterone intimately plays in with your pain response. So we need all of those things working to some degree. But I would say at the the very least, if I can get someone on thyroid for 90 days before I treat them, remarkable difference. And also they have a lot of pain for various reasons if their thyroid's low. And then next I would say gut health because, well, there's lots of reasons, but just real quick, if people have like if people have chronic IBS and they have chronic 
SI pain or lumbosacral pain or pelvic pain, it's always worse when their IBS is flared. Always. And if they say, God, I don't know what happened. You know, you treated me and I was doing so well. And then all of a sudden, like I'm dying. I'm things, I just feel terrible. And I'm like, well, how's your gut? Oh, it's a mess. It flared on me. I'm like, okay, well, there we go. For one, I mean, there's, we have a lot of mechanisms we could get into, but also it's just in the vicinity. You've got inflamed, boggy guts all over that pelvic bowl. (laughs) So no wonder (laughs) the muscles and the joints aren't going to work right because they're just getting blasted with inflammatory cytokines. Right. So if you had a woman as a patient that had autoimmune Hashimoto's thyroiditis, would you inject them? Would you try and get them to like bring inflammation down, get all the blood work in check first? Or is it kind of like, well, I don't know if this is going to be successful for you. I love prolotherapy first and foremost, no matter what. Mm -hmm. I never start with PRP. It's rare. If the person's really, if it's really streamlined and straightforward, I'll start with PRP, but I always try to start with prolotherapy. There's a lot of good evidence supporting prolotherapy that's come out over the years and it is highly discounted because it's hard to do. And as you can appreciate, it's all based on good palpation skills which most orthopods don't necessarily have. They have really good image-guided injecting skills, but to have really good phys med skills, as you know, is like a whole other jam. So Mm -hmm. I love Prolo first and foremost because it calms everything down and I can buy them some time and I can convince them, okay, we found the pain generator, we've calmed things down, but now I'm not gonna, like the PRP is the golden carrot. I'm not gonna give it to them until they go work with somebody and get everything dialed. And then when they can come back. So I can, I have tools that are less expensive to sort of turn the dial down to get them moving, but I need them to get all that stuff managed before I'm willing to compromise. So I was turning away 70, 80% of everyone who applied to work with me. And then of those who came in, I was turning more away because of what you just mentioned and other variants. No one was getting rich there with my ethics. (laughs) (laughs) I was turning away the bulk of my patients. I was, I mean, I was still busy as heck and booked out for months, but I'm like, come on guys, like this is not a one shot wonder. And you really need to have all systems dialed. These therapies are dependent on your ability to heal. That's it. It's not the PRP. It's not the stem cells. It's not the magic stuff in the syringe. It's your cell signaling ability. It's a hundred percent your ability to heal and your ability to respond. So if someone comes in, one of my intake questions is, are you a good healer? Does your skin abraze easily? And and if that's a yes, like, you know, I used to be that way when I was really malnourished. If I just like bumped up against something, I would just get a cut or I'd bruise really bad. Or the other question is, do you heal quickly when you get cut? And if they say no, I'm not treating them. Something's wrong, right? So there's so many variables. There's nutrition status, hormones, gut, immune system, autoimmune, propensity, you know, sleep, if they're not sleeping. Did you have cases that would respond well with prolo, but got flared up with PRP or stem cells? Yes. Yes. For sure. Yeah, so yeah. Why? Because I feel like in the uh, regenerative medicine world, like prolo is kind of like overlooked and like PRP is also sometimes overlooked and people are just going like straight to stem cell injections. Can you talk about why PRP and stem cells would potentially not work, but prolo would? Sure. Well, that's interesting because that was my whole talk this weekend, my long talk was the ethics of regenerative medicine. And it was exactly this. We throw the baby out with the bathwater, which seems really, especially for naturopathic doctors, seems very non-naturopathic. That's like jumping to hardcore antibiotics before you exhaust conservative care, like, or jumping to surgery before you do chiropractics. Like that seems insane to me, you know? So Prolo is 
generally utilizing dextrose and dextrose doesn't just regenerate, it quells neurogenic inflammation. It has a analgesic effect just by nature of how it works. It sits on the trip V1 receptor. You know, capsaicin, how we were taught capsaicin. Dextrose does the same thing. So dextrose applied topically, that's something you can do in your practice. You can actually, there's different products out there or you can have them compounded, but even dextrose topical will calm down pain. It's crazy and awesome. So injecting it is kind of like a salve. So doing Prolo, I can pull up as much Prolo solution as I want. And I can not only diagnose the problem because if I hit the pain generator, we know we're on the right track. Because remember back in school, it was always find the pain generator, find the pain generator. Well, if you're only going in for one stem cell treatment and you've spent all your money on that and banked everything on that, if they don't hit the pain generator, you're not going to win. So that allows me to inject as much as I need, find the pain generator, and it's also therapeutic. So it's diagnostic and therapeutic. Then I can come in with bigger guns, depending on how that holds. So if they say, you know what, doc, I got 70% improvement, but it only lasted like a week and a half. I'm like, bingo. Now I'm going to jump to something bigger in my syringe that's more potent. I'm still going to do the same technique though. And that technique is hitting literally every anthesis around the, like say the shoulder, for instance, most docs that are doing stem cells and PRP are just doing one shot intraarticular under ultrasound guidance. And that's it. Whereas with Prolo, I'm injecting everything, anterior glenohumeral ligaments, coracoid ligaments, the whole rotator cuff, the capsule itself, actually in thyroid disease the ca- and in autoimmune disease, the capsule will get thickened. So they'll get synovitis. Mm. So that calms that whole thing down. If I were to have come in hot and fast with something sexy like PRP and stem cells, that would have probably just flared the heck out of them and made it a really miserable experience. So I can even start with 5% dextrose in a half inch needle and just pepper the joint just to calm down all the pain. And that in and of itself is super effective. So my therapies are tiered. I start low and slow, and then I gauge it up and gauge it up and gauge it up. And honestly, we don't ever often have to go to the expensive stuff. We can get them 100% pain relief for much less money, much more ethical in my opinion, and they're happy. I've been conservative with them. They're happy. They're satisfied. And they refer me tons of patients. That's how I was so successful. I just was like, yeah, I have the big guns, but why? It's like trying to shoot a fly with a shotgun when you have a fly swatter. Yeah. Who are some of the trickiest clientele? So for example, when we're doing rehab, some of the trickiest people are the ones that are hypermobile, have like loose connective tissue, extra laxity. They can't find their center. You know, they have those knees that hyperextend and the elbows that hyperextend. Because I know like Prolo is really good for just, especially all the like people who went through chiropractic school and are like hypermobile for just from getting adjusted yes. too much. <laughs> yeah. For just kind of creating more tissue integrity around the joints. Yes, that is a difficult group. That's who tends to show up in prolotherapist's office too. So they, you know, they tend to congregate there. They tend to just be a little loosey-goosey genetically. But again, those folks are really hard to treat unless they have muscle. So by the time I closed my practice, my application process was basically like, do you deadlift and <laughs> are, you al- are you already muscled? Because <laughs> I wanted right. to treat people like you. I was looking for people like you and the people who listen to the show. Like people like me, I'm 45, I'm fit. It's like the shoulder's hanging me up. Not, mm. oh my God, I have chronic body-wide 
pain and I can't get it under control. Those, there's plenty of prolotherapists for those folks. Those were not my people anymore. I used to treat those, but I got real specific. So I was looking for meatheads who just needed their joints to work so they could get back to the gym. <laughs> And there's plenty of population. They're they're proactive. (laughs) Well, and they heal fast, and I can tell them with fairly good certainty, like this is your what your potentially what your outcomes. So long as they had not had cortisone injected, but yeah, you know, if they've got low thyroid, low hormones, and they're loosey goosey, and they're not eating well, and they've never been active a day in their life, like I can't fix that. I can't. What did you find? You can rehab them, but that takes years, right? Years. Yeah. What did you find with people who had cortisone injections previously? It just screwed up everything as far as like, I could look at, (laughs) if you came to me at your age and your gender and you said, I have this condition, I could tell you, I got so good at it because I've been doing it for so long that I could tell you with fairly good certainty, like this is what you could expect in your outcomes percentage wise. If I do this, if I apply this treatment, this is what, you know, I knew what I could expect with cortisone, all bets are off. Like everything's been screwed up. I think the proprioceptors and the nociceptors in the area have all been shifted because of that catabolic steroid that melts your tissues has been injected in there. I can't even get palpatory confirmation. I train a lot of doctors in prolotherapy. And the one thing is like, if I can palpate it and recreate your chief complaint pain, I can inject it and probably make your pain go away. With cortisone, it's like, I mean, you know this, you're palpating around the spine and they've had cortisone injections. They just have this really aberrant pain response. They're like, it hurts, but it's numb or it's hyperalgesic or analgesic. And you're just like, ah, this, the terrain has been mucked up. And especially if it's gone in a joint, we now know that a lot of catabolism has happened. A lot of melting has occurred inside that joint and in those ligamentous structures, which is actually the whole root cause of the problem in the first place was that things were compromised. So now they're more compromised and I can shoot fancy stuff in there all day and meh, we might get amazing results. We might get nada. So. Yeah. I noticed from like a pale patient, like just less tissue quality you know, the tissue is, has atrophied. Yes. We see it a lot with like new moms who have decoir veins, right? So thumb wrist pain and they're just like, I don't have time to rehab, like new baby. I'm picking up this baby. I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> get some cortisone shot into oh, it and just, it kills me. you can literally see the atrophy of the muscles are in the wrist and you're like, Ah, uh, okay, that's gonna be kills tricky. me. Like that to me is the most unethical thing. Do you know that I literally can put the most basic syringe fault like recipe in there and one cc and make it go away? We have a few colleagues who've come to me that are in Portland still that went to school with us who have had that from adjusting. They oh, yeah. were all women. They were all women because they were doing a lot of body work and they were moms. So like some you know overuse. Yeah. And they were all headed for cortisone. And I was like, please just come in. Like, it's so dumb how fast I can fix this. It's so like five minutes and you're done. And maybe you need one more treatment. And like, please just, and they've all been so miraculously surprised at the results. But I had to talk them into it because they were so stuck in this orthopedic realm. I don't know when chiropractors became like BFFs with orthopods, but (laughs) (laughs) They were so stuck in this, like, well, I need this and I need an exact answer and I need steroids. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you just need to calm the inflammation around that tendon down Yeah, and chill and take some thyroid because that makes your tendons inflamed too, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And most women postpartum need some thyroid in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So we see a lot of autoimmune 
patients, women in the clinic. And our goal for them is to rehab and to strength train. But some of the common findings are low muscle mass. So like having a hard time putting on muscle, just maintaining their muscle. Also slightly hypermobile. So I've been looking and seeing if there's research with like low thyroid and hypermobility. And I just don't think the research has been done, but there's definitely low thyroid, low muscle mass. Can you talk about why that happens in uh, Hashimoto's, for example? Well, so most folks with, particularly women with low thyroid, up to 90 some percent have Hashimoto's. So if you have low thyroid and you're female, you probably got Hashimoto's. That's best guess, right? So people come to me, they're like, I have Hashimoto's. I'm like, welcome to the club. (laughs) So does everyone, (laughs) you know, so so do I. And then I am that girl. I'm a slow gainer. I'm a heart gainer. The other thing is that of people who are hypothyroid, up to 79% of them have hypothyroid myopathy, which is wasting and changes in integrity in the muscle. They lose their type two muscle fibers because of the hypothyroidism. So this is a mess and it hits first around the hips and the shoulder girdle and the pelvic girdle. So why do you think so many people and women in middle age suddenly present with really bad low back pain or really bad lumbopelvic pain or all of a sudden you've seen this and it's crazy and it just happened to me last year, both hips just melt out of nowhere. They just melt and you're like, what happened? There was really no traumatic onset. Maybe like I was deadlifting too much too often. I know I jacked my labrum, but the minute you, and same thing with the shoulder, frozen shoulder. Do you ever see that in anybody but peri to postmenopausal females? Nope. It's because their thyroid's tanking out along with their other hormones and they're getting this rapid degeneration and atrophy of the muscles surrounding those big joint girdles. And now they're ending up presenting with frozen shoulder, frozen hip, or pain. And what happens? They get cortisone injections and they get surgery. And it's like, well, maybe you could give them some thyroid and strength train them. Seems a lot more ethical to me. Takes time, but this is something that when I present to MDs and DCs and NDs about hypothyroid myopathy, they all look completely shocked. I have a whole talk on it. I just did a whole podcast episode on it, actually. You should go listen to it. It's like, you guys, this is so prevalent, and yet we're missing it. Also, what I found clinically, you'll feel a lot of TL junction, thoracolumbar junction, tension and pain. Their spines will almost be like a springboard where you go to adjust them, and you're kind of like, wow, you're really lean. You shouldn't be this hard to adjust. That's, to me, a clinical sign. Their calves sometimes will be very tense and tight. And so what do we do? We grasp in the heck out of them. But it's, that's myxedema. So they end up with this proteinaceous swelling. It's not fluid. It's protein. And it ends up in all their tissues. And it's really uncomfortable for them. You'll see it in their face. They get puffy. And it contributes, I think, a lot to pain. I think it actually surrounds the spine and starts to pinch on the nerves to some degree, put pressure on them. So I think a lot of musculoskeletal pain that we're all seeing is actually potentially a thyroid issue, which I know is a bold statement, but I really believe it. Yeah. I'm just curious, like how many orthopedists or even physiatrists think of that when they're working someone up, you know, versus like the biomechanical traumatic injury or overuse injury kind of traditional model. Yeah, carpal tunnel syndrome, thyroid issue, plantar fasciosis. I can't talk. Plantar fasciosis, (laughs) thyroid issue. They're all thyroid issues, and it's crazy town. People are not seeing it or treating it adequately, and patients are suffering because what happens when you get the surgery or the cortisone if you still have the thyroid issue? It just keeps coming, right? 
I don't know. And it's funny because like desiccated thyroid costs about 10 cents a pill. So it's a very inexpensive treatment. And I think a lot of dementia that we're seeing in our older population, thyroid issue, so many people are suffering from having low-grade thyroid and doctors are missing it. That's a whole other podcast we could do on what that means. And it's very hard to find someone who will treat it adequately. I have people reach out to me every day and they're like, my functional medicine doctor or my naturopath won't give me thyroid. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I can't give you advice online, but I, because I live it and because I treat musculoskeletal pain, I'm very aggressive at treating it or I have been in the past because it's the difference between someone who has chronic migraines and seeking out all this invasive care on their neck or, and taking all these drugs, or you just give them some thyroid and all their migraines go away. It's crazy. So it's a thyroid, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think it is. <laughs> I think even, even subclinical, it doesn't have to be this. That's the thing. We don't treat people till they have the big problem. We, I'm looking for like subtle nuances. And then yeah. I don't care what labs say. I want to see symptom resolution. The, the pain resolution or the, the you know, whatever that, whatever's going on musculoskeletally, I want to see that resolved. That's the dose, right? Yeah. That's, that's the dose. And I don't think most doctors are brave enough to, because they can get in trouble with their boards. Yeah. Do you typically look, I know you're not prescribing and treating patients, but would you recommend that doctors typically look for like root causes or underlying factors that can contribute load to the system that could push someone into an autoimmune condition? For sure. It's just, it's a big learning curve. You know, it doesn't happen in a one weekend IMF certification course. Like (laughs) it doesn't, I'm sorry. It's like me going to a strong first course and being like, I'm SFG, whatever. It's like, no, this is years of knowledge. And I applaud all doctors who do take the functional medicine route and realize that there's more to look at than the allopathic model, but just know that there's a lot to learn. And that's what, you know, naturopathic medicine, Jeffrey Bland took naturopathic medicine, worked at a naturopathic medical school and turned it into functional medicine. And I'm all for it. I just think that there is a, there needs to be an understanding of where this came from. And there's a paradigm, it's a paradigm shift. I'm treating the person, not the conditions. I want to know why person X, Y, and Z is presenting this way, not so much what do their labs say, et cetera. And I think it's critical. I think we're going to see a massive amount of baby boomers coming down the chute with really gnarly knee and hip problems. It's not just obesity. It's toxicity. It's the shitty food we've been eating all these years. It's glyphosate. It's it's lack of conditioning. So many people are deconditioned. It's mind-boggling. When did we lose respect for that? Like I remember back in my grandparents' generation, it was really it kind of expected that you be functional and be able to contribute to society. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day at this conference and I was like, if my friend falls underneath a bookshelf or like a bookshelf falls on them, I want to be able to push it off of them. I want to be handy to my fellow humans. And if you're weak and sick and deconditioned, you are a huge load on the system. And I'm going to make some serious enemies for saying that, but I truly believe it. Like think about the impact and the financial and emotional burden that we are all having on society if we don't keep ourselves well and strong. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was talking to Brett Jones, who's the director of education for Strong First, and he was talking about being sedentary. And he's like, even if I work out for an hour, he's like, 
the rest of the day I may be sitting. And so for me, that is sedentary. So take the population that doesn't even work out for an hour and that man works out like a beast (laughs) and just like redefining what sedentary is. Where would you recommend people start to strength train, right? Because it can be intimidating. So for example, like I have kettlebells in my treatment rooms and sometimes new patients will walk in and they'll point to them and they'll go, those injured people. And I was like, well, we could talk about this, but (laughs) that thing on the floor won't injure people. It's probably the the user error that's happening. (laughs) Generally user errors. I really like the combo of, I really like Strong First. I just, I'm kind of a fangirl of that organization because the system works and I've seen it be approachable and effective to everyone. So whether you're 400 pounds overweight, you've never moved before, or you're a 90-year-old woman, or you're in a wheelchair, the work that I see coming out of the gym, I work out at Industrial Strength, Mira and her husband, Tony, own it. And the work that they do is phenomenal. The people I see come in, I almost want to start documenting it because I watch them come in scared and hurt and I watch them leave empowered and strong. And they have a really awesome physical therapist in there named Josh Kidd, who's also SFG. So like everybody works together and gets the patient strong without adding a bunch of extra diagnoses. And then I also love if they have an FMS certification, because I feel like the combo of the two, at least it shows that they care enough to have received this higher level of training. Because, you know, just like any profession, there's bad ones and good ones. So those are my two favorite. If they have an FMS and an SFG, I'm, I'm inclined to send patients to them. And I love sending patients there first before even physical therapy, because sometimes they just need to move and get the joint strong. They don't need an injection. I can't tell you how many times I've sent people there. I'm like, I'm not injecting you. Go get strong. And the ones who are like, spend, spend the money on that. Spend the hundreds or thousands of dollars on that. Go get strong. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Then if you still hurt, come back because it'll work, you know? And then strength training clears up a lot of these hormonal and immune issues. Just pans it right out for people. Like I don't have thyroid antibodies anymore. I have had thyroid antibodies through the roof for decades and now they're gone because I have muscle. I truly believe it's because I train almost every day some, to some degree. And I'm like, come on guys, this is a no brainer, but it requires work. And a lot of patients don't want to work. They just want passive care. And I think passive care is great to an extent, but it's also BS. I'm thankful for our chiropractic training for teaching us that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you're not seeing patients other than 50 kettlebell <laughs> swings a day in Turkish getups, <laughs> What do your days look like? Because I know you have lots of online programs and you're speaking and traveling all over the country. I do. I have several online programs for the public. So you can find those on my Instagram at drtina.com. It's D-R-T-Y-N-A. I have a great book called Pain-Free and Strong, which is free. That's available on my website. Same website, drtina.com. I run several high-end masterminds that kind of went bonkers this year. So I've got a business and marketing mastermind for naturopathic doctors. And then I have a pretty large prolotherapy mastermind. It's a year-long program where I train naturopathic doctors in a bunch of this stuff and regenerative medicine and talk about all these all of these things that we've discussed. So that's been keeping me super busy. And I have a cute little chihuahua named Coco who's <laughs> she, has, she has cancer though. So she's kind Aww. of, I think this is her last summer. So we're just spending a lot of time hanging out in the backyard. I'm just getting my life back. It's pretty exciting. I'm pretty happy to have stepped away from patient. You know, taking care of people in pain is it takes its toll. So I figured after a decade, I was like, I'm going to see what life is like outside of a clinic. 
Well, especially after eight years of school too. Yeah. <laughs> double, double doctorate. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I was a really sick kid. So I spent my whole life in clinics in and out. I worked in hospitals all through undergrad. I did a lot of food service work, but I've literally always been in a clinic my entire life. And then I worked for Rick right out of school and all, you know, so I'm just between that and bartending, that's all I ever did. So I'm like, I just wonder what life I'm 45. I'm like, I just want to train. I just want to be able to hang out with my dog, lay out in the sun, train as much as I want. <laughs> Sleep. And train other, other practitioners. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I can reach more that way. So I can help more people. So people can find you at, is it drtina.com? Yep. And then what's your, you're active on Instagram. What's that? It's Dr. Tina. So same D-R-T-Y-N-A. You can find me on Facebook. If you put in Dr. Tina, it'll come up. It should pop up there. I have a free Facebook group for anyone who wants to join. It's called Pain-Free and Strong. And I just dump a bunch of this information in there as I find it. So it's pretty high level thinking, but people really enjoy it. It's like, here's, here's what, you know, yeah, I think you're in that group. Yeah. You know, and your group is great too. Like I learned so much from what you post in there. And it's, it really, I just use it as a library to keep all the interesting articles that I find. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's so good to catch up, especially and just share like two meeting of the minds in a (laughs) a podcast. A hundred percent. That's so fun. I'm so glad to do it. Thank you. We'll have to do round two of like thyroid 101, deep dive, everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now that we cover the basics. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here. Thank you.